0: Hello and welcome to Research Roundup brought to you by the Primary Care Collaborative Cancer Clinical Trials Group, PC4. I'm Christy Milley, and each month we'll be looking at what's new in cancer in primary care research, and I'll be talking to authors of recent publications and presentations. Today, our guest is Professor Vicky White, who is Professor of Psycho Oncology at the Faculty of Health at Deakin University, and she's also part of the Cancer Council Victoria. And she was lead author on the Pathway to Diagnosis and Treatment for Surgically Managed Lung Cancer Patients, which was recently published in the journal Family Practice. The study looked at pathways for patients with operable lung cancer to identify factors that could be contributing to early diagnosis. So welcome, Vicky. Thanks for inviting me on. Oh, we're thrilled. (laughs) Just to start with, this paper was part of the International Cancer Benchmarking Project. And we've actually spoken to one of your collaborators, David Weller, before, and he's wonderful. He is. Just again for our listeners, give us a little bit of background on the ICBP and how this project in particular fits into it. Mm -hmm. So ICBP
1: was a project that started from Cancer Research UK in 2009 and it started to look at variations in survival from cancers across sort of countries that have similar health systems. Cancer Research UK was interested to see how the countries in the UK compared to other countries and then what might be, if there were differences, what might be driving some of those differences. So part of the ICBP was getting countries like Australia involved and Canada and Sweden, Norway, Denmark and a couple of other countries and looked initially at whether there were survival differences in breast cancer, colorectal cancer, lung cancer and ovarian cancer and that was module one. And they found that there were differences with a lot of the UK countries not performing as well as countries like Australia or some of the other countries yeah. in, in Europe. That sort of set them off into looking at what were the reasons for some of these variations. And there's four modules that we're going <laughs> on. or well, there's five, actually. In this first phase, and module two looked at whether there were differences in the general public's understanding for some of the risk factors for cancer and symptoms, and whether there was a difference in people going to GPs in in response to uh, symptoms they might be experiencing. Module three looked at whether GPs in different countries have a different attitude towards sending people on to tests or different access to testing and um, referral patterns, and then module four, which is what we were involved with, was looking at whether There was differences in the diagnostic intervals and how long it took people to respond once they noticed a symptom to go to a GP and then getting the GP to investigate that symptom and then sending them on for specialist care and treatment starting. It's
0: such a... Phenomenal, really wide mm. range of work, and it's so wonderful to see that GPS place. You know, or the role of GP is so well considered in project itself. Yes, and and in our study, so
1: in module four, in addition to surveying patients, we also asked the patient if we could contact their GP and their specialist, and we asked the the GPS to fill out questionnaires around that diagnostic process as well. And for our study, we got a really great response from the GP. So I think we have isn't like that a 60- nice? It that doesn't fantastic. happen. No. <laughs> No, because module three didn't get a great response from GPs, oh. but we had a, around a 60 odd percent uh, response rates from, from the GPs to fill out the questionnaires, which was just fantastic.
0: And for this study in particular, what was your primary outcome? What did you really want to look at? We wanted to look at
1: the ways that people reach their diagnosis of cancer. So how they presented to the GP and then what happened to them at the GPs and how long it took them to move from a GP to get the different tests and then get a diagnosis and then start treatment. So. So we're looking at the intervals of care but also the pathway into the GP so whether it was uh, symptom based or uh, another path or whether there was a screening interval so we looked at breast and colorectal and lung and ovarian cancer as well and so with colorectal and breast we had a screening pathway
0: okay great as you mentioned there you know looking at a symptomatic pathway was was one of the things you investigated so did you see if there were any key differences between being symptomatic and non-symptomatic diagnostic routes. We did.
1: And I think one of the things that really struck me was that even though we were talking to people who had a diagnosis of lung cancer, only 30% of them, or around 30% of them, said they were diagnosed through symptom-based sort of information. So with this very early stage, so we were looking at people who were stage 1 and stage 2 primarily, so they were operable lung cancer patients. When we asked them how their cancer was diagnosed, around 69% said they were being investigated for something else and their cancer was diagnosed that way. When we looked a bit further at the data that they had, we asked them to list some symptoms that they might have been experiencing. So, a lot of those people also had symptoms like a cough or other symptoms that might be related to lung cancer. So, we in our paper, we sort of reassigned people into being symptomatic if they gave one of the classic lung cancer symptoms. Okay. And so we came down to about, I think it's just around 42% of people being sort of diagnosed through investigation of another disease or another condition, and 58 were diagnosed with symptoms. So that's sort of a big change in, <laughs> in yeah. how people sort of present to the GP and, and what they might be thinking they've got when they go to a GP, then coming out with getting a lung cancer diagnosis. Mm. And we also then investigated what the time intervals were for people, whether they were diagnosed through symptoms, our classification, or through being investigated for another condition. And we did find that there were differences in in the intervals that it took. So people who were being investigated for another condition had a shorter time within the primary care, but they had a longer time for the secondary care interval. And the secondary care interval was the time between being referred to a specialist and then having treatment, being diagnosed. So there were were sort of subtle differences in in where along the pathway the two groups diverged. So
0: you've also mentioned optimal time intervals as part of that lung cancer optimal care pathway. So how did the findings of your paper compare to the existing OCPs? Mm
1: So in the Lung Cancer Optimal Care Pathways, there's three intervals that they specify within that document. And the first one is in relation to the timing of when people, patients should get their results from investigative tests. So that's recommended within a week. And then the second one is around the time it takes from patients to get a referral to see their specialist. And that's recommended to happen within two week time period. And then the third one is the interval from the initial referral from the GP into the specialist and the start of treatment. And they recommend that that should take no longer than six weeks. And so we couldn't look at all those up, those intervals in our study, but we looked at the last one. So the interval between the referral and the start of treatment. And what we found was that roughly half the symptomatic patients met that interval. So half didn't meet that six week interval. And then three quarters of the investigation group, that was longer than the six weeks interval. So it suggests that there's quite a large proportion of patients who aren't At the time of our study, which was before the optimal care pathways was introduced, weren't meeting the sort of care guidelines that we have now for that that interval from referral to start of treatment. And we're currently doing a study to see whether there's been any change in that. So as I said, the study that we did that we're talking about now was done before the optimal care pathways were really introduced and promoted. In health services and with colleagues from the Cancer Council and University of Melbourne and other areas and and the health department here in Victoria, we receive funding from NHMRC through a partnership grant to look at whether there's been a change in the intervals for diagnosis intervals for people with lung and colorectal and ovarian cancer with the introduction of the Optimal Care Pathways.
0: Nice to have that baseline and to see what's changed as they've been implemented. Yes,
1: yes. It'd be fantastic to find out what's going on. It's going to take us a little bit more time. Yeah. <laughs> to get those results, but hopefully, you know, you know, end of next year we'll start to be able to see what's happened with the time intervals for people's diagnostic timeways.
0: No, that's great. It would be great to be able to reflect and see where we need to move forward to make even more improvements. Yes. So that'll be a really interesting study. Yeah, thanks. And how long until that project is finished and you start to see results? Well, that's a very good question. So <laughs> <laughs> research, how long's a piece of string? I know. Just because of the
1: numbers and how we're recruiting patients, we'll be able to. Finished recruitment for the colorectal cancer patients early next year, yeah. but lung cancer is going to take a bit longer, and that will probably be towards the middle to the latter part of next year. And then ovarian cancer, because
0: there's not as many. Longer people. again, here. Um, again, that'll take a little bit longer. Fair enough. So, how do you think primary care providers can help to improve the diagnostic pathway and reduce? These intervals for lung cancer patients.
1: Lung cancer is hard to diagnose because the symptoms can be very vague and non-specific. And I think that one of the things that GPs really need to be alert with is the smoking history of, of okay. people that come to see them, and to make sure that they understand how long people have been smoking for and and the intensity. I suppose the sort of pack years. Yep. And I think sort of other research has suggested that being alert to the types of symptoms and the co-occurrence of symptoms over a specific amount of time could also be an indicator of being at risk for lung cancer. And an interesting piece of research that came out from the UK also was looking at the way the patients described their symptoms and how questions from a GP might be influential in how to extract information. They were suggesting that if you ask, and and it goes against everything that we've been taught and everything that we teach health professionals about how they should ask questions, because they were suggesting that if you ask people open-ended questions about their symptoms, they tend to normalise what they talk about. So they'll talk about being tired, but that's just part of growing old. Or they'll talk about being tired, and that's just because everyone's busy at the moment, and so they tend to sort of just say it's part of an ageing process or it's part of just being a busy person or it's part of just a normal, a normal life. And this research was suggesting that if you turn it around and ask closed questions, very specific closed questions, you're more likely to get a sense of the intensity of the symptoms that people might be experiencing and, and get this sort of more information about the severity of symptoms. And so I suppose it suggests that, you know, GPs have to learn skills to, to use open questions, but also maybe to follow up with some close-ended no ended questions to get more uh, specific information about how people are really experiencing those symptoms.
0: That's really interesting mm. to think about it being different mm. to how you're taught to get, to yes. get information out of people. Yeah. It was a qualitative study, so it does need to be replicated. Yeah. And last question for today, Vicky, and we always like to, you know, if you have to crystallise everything in that paper into to one short take-home message, what do you want our listeners to really get out from this paper? I've got two. (laughs) Oh, no, that's fine. (laughs) So the first one is the finding that suggests that many people
1: who are diagnosed with lung cancer aren't necessarily expecting that diagnosis. So being aware of the impact of a diagnosis of lung cancer and making sure that we're offering people the support that might be needed and information that they may need once they get that diagnosis. So that's one of my key take-home messages. So the other key message is around the optimal care pathway intervals that we talked about before. And with our finding that less than 50% or around 50% of people were meeting that six week interval that we talked about, I think it suggests that there's a bit of work to do to try to improve the pathways to diagnosis and ensure that the optimal care pathways are being implemented so that we can re- increase the number of people who are meeting that six-week interval between referral and start of
0: treatment. Great. Thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for having me. Thanks for downloading Research Roundup produced by PC4. You can access the articles and other information in our show notes. Please let us know what you think about this episode by emailing us at info at pc4tg.com.au or keep in touch via Twitter, where you'll find us at PC4TG. And there's also our website, which is PC4TG.com.au.